0: There we go. I just wanted to make sure we're getting separate tracks on the recording. All right, so I will do... um, All right, welcome everyone to another episode of Behind the Human. I'm your host, Mark Champagne, and it is my job to unpack the stories and mental fitness practices of people living at the top of their game, personally and professionally. Today, I'm speaking with Shaheen, who is the creator of Herbal Ecstasy, the nootropic pill that sparked the 100% legal smart drug movement. He made millions, but what made it special was that he was only 15 years old at the time. That's a serious entrepreneur there. His career as a ser- serial entrepreneur spans more than 30 years and a billion dollars in revenue. This one's going to be fun because I've been jamming on your book the last few nights and uh, there's a hell of a story there and lots of lessons to be learned, so... Welcome to the show.
1: Thanks for having me on, Mark. I appreciate that. Uh,
0: before we get into uh, to the story and 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 everything that surrounds you, I start the show off same question for for every guest, just to avoid any type of job titles and whatnot. And that's just, you know, who are you as we speak today? Who are you?
1: So I'm an entrepreneur. I'm a family man. I have a beautiful wife and a beautiful seven year old son as we speak. He'll be eight years old soon. And my life has been spent spotting trends and developing physical products and companies that impact people, particularly in health and wellness. But I was one of the uh, forerunners in the nootropic movement that really popped up in the 1990s. And then I was one of the uh, first people to popularize digital vaporization, uh, patented, uh, all the technology that now when we see vapes came out of. And then from there, I went on to become an Amazon uh, expert. And what I do now is I coach and train people how to sell products on Amazon. Love it,
0: love it. I mean, the, speaking of your family, there's there. I read the dedication to your book, um, which I'd love to ask about, you said, "You know, may we live an extraordinary life and make a dent in the universe together, which is a beautiful line, by the way. I would just love to know for, for you, you know, what is an extraordinary life?
1: I think it comes down to mainly one thing. And that's freedom. The absolute greatest thing. I know right now, especially during COVID and all the stuff politically that's going on in the world, people talk about freedom. But what I like to think of an extraordinary life is one where you have the absolute freedom to do what you want with who you want, when you want. And yes, it does require that you have some level of fuck you money. You do need to have financial freedom. Anybody who tells you you don't is lying to you. Those days are long over. And we live in a society where life is made a lot easier with money. So... for, For me, it is having the financial freedom to be able to say, fuck you, whenever I want to, to whoever I want, to deals that I don't want, and to be able to be open to more opportunities that align with whatever it is that I'm interested in. I know that you and I talk a lot. Uh, or, or we have talked a lot about uh, Stephen Kotler and his work and his his last book, yeah. um, uh, Art of the Impossible, which is fantastic. And interestingly enough, in that book, one of the things that he talks about is following your fascination, just fucking yeah. going out there and and exploring something that you're interested in that doesn't have anything to do with making money. And that's actually most people don't know that where you know, they say, oh, he's a gentleman and a scholar. Where that that came from, it came from the fact that people who had wealth, private wealth, personal wealth, family wealth, in those days had the ability to study. They had the ability to follow their fascination and live that life of freedom. So they said, oh, he's a gentleman and a scholar, which means dude's got enough money to do whatever the fuck he wants. And that's ultimately the freedom that, I think leads to an extraordinary life.
0: Love it. Love it. Well, and what I've noticed too, I mean, it seems like freedom, you know, to, to get to a place of freedom, what, however you, you define that for, for people listening usually starts with some curiosity, you know, and, and, poking around seeing what you know makes sense for you i i would love to i'd love to dial it back obviously and just if you can give the listeners a bit of a review i mean you've got a whole book on this so obviously there's uh you know there's quite the history but if you could there it is if you could if you could just give a, a, a quick summary of like how the hell did you get started in the in in the world of that you jumped into and there's a line i have to share there's a line in there at one point where i think i wrote wrote it down yeah uh where you just you had just made a billion dollars and you said something like i might actually need to get an accountant at this point (laughs) yeah i just i was cracking up anyway (laughs) share a little bit about the backstory
1: it's true so i started when i was 15 years old. Prior to that, I had led a rather shaky adolescent coming to the United States during uh, a revolution. We came here as refugees. My family was solid, poor, lower middle class. We managed to buy a home in an affluent community, up and coming affluent community, but the house was a wreck and we had to fix it up. And it was, it was just a fluke, but it turned out that 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 neighborhood was really booming. So I grew up around all this wealth and all these rich kids all around me. Mm -hmm. We were like this poor Iranian family who had escaped Iran with basically the the clothes on our backs. And my dad would work at a pizza shop. He had worked at a dry cleaners for 30 years. We didn't have new clothes when we got clothes, it was when somebody walked into the dry cleaners and left it behind and we yeah. would inherit those clothes. That would be what we would wear. So we would always be wishing, hey man, that guy looks cool. That's a surfer guy. I want surfer clothes. I hope he doesn't pay his fucking bill. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and that was the kind of uh, the kind of environment that I grew up in. It was very gritty. We'd get into fights all the time, physical altercations. By the time I was in my adolescence, I had started a little illicit products and services business within the school and realized very quickly that I was really fucking bad at crime. We would make a lot of money, very good at making money, very bad at crime we would constantly get busted and you know we would go to the local liquor store and i had a gang of other kids that were complete malcontents and mutants just like i was and we had a little kid who was a smaller shorter young guy and he would sneak under the metal detectors and stuff his pants with all the contraband stuff okay. and we would we would hawk it off at school and always end up in detention so i knew that I was not good at crime. I needed to figure something else out. When I reached 15, I started looking around me and I saw all this wealth. I saw all these kids with credit cards and they got to eat. out. I never ate at a freaking restaurant. They mm-hmm. ate out all the time. They, they lived this like kind of free life, going on fantastic vacations. We went nowhere, We stayed in LA. Occasionally, my folks and I would drive up to Vegas and stay at a $20 hotel and come back. That would be our our vacations. We did not have the kind of lifestyle that was going on around me. And I remember thinking to myself, dude, I want the fucking Benz and the hot wife and the hot girlfriend and the car and all, all that stuff. But it was not accessible to me. The path that had been drawn out for me was basically go to school for 12 years, 14 years, maybe become a doctor and then reach that success. So I said, fuck this, I'm burning my ships. And I bailed, cut all ties and went out there. I I did have books at that time, Mark. I had think and grow rich. I had all these great old timey inspirational books. I had Tony Robbins and Wayne Dyer and, and all these personal development gurus that were coming up at that, at that time. And I said, fuck it. I'm out. And I left.
0: Okay. Where did you, where, where did you go? Where, where did it go from there?
1: So I started off the first few nights sleeping on the beach. Yeah. Then I realized that there were places in the community college where I could kind of sneak in and figure out where to lay my head. And eventually I started figuring out the brokers and LA was in a big building boom at that time. Okay. And I realized that the brokers had these codes and it was the same code to get into every building. Now, in those days there was a huge building boom. You yeah. big fancy apartment buildings, condo complexes with dozens and dozens of units and they were empty in a year out from being built or finished. So I would sneak in at night, put in the code, fall asleep in this luxury apartment I had a sleeping bag and wake up and leave by the mornings. And it's great, luxury housing sorted. I would eat yeah. at little hot dog stands i would eat uh, i was vegetarian at that time terrible decision and i would eat uh, <laughs> vegan even worse and i would have a, a hot dog bun and i would put relish and ketchup in it or a tortilla with ketchup and relish because it was free and that's how that's that was the stuff that i survived on and sure enough i managed to get myself a mentor and i got involved in the rave scene the electronic music scene which was booming at the time the edm scene all the great electronic music bands of the time were, were up. And I learned very quickly that nobody was making money in these clubs except for one type of person. Can you guess who it was? <laughs> yeah, I can, I think. Yeah. So it was the drug dealers. Yeah. <laughs> and I thought to myself, man, these guys have they are dressed nice. They look good. They've got beautiful women around them, fast cars. They live in nice places. I'll just do that. That's great. And at this time, the drug ecstasy, MDMA, methyl dioxymethamphetamine, moly, whatever they call it these days, in those days had been huge, massive. It was all anybody wanted to do. One problem, which leads me to the right place at the right time, was that the supply had dried out. We're talking Reaganomics, trickle-down economics, just say no, all that stuff happening. And the supply, which a fairly difficult drug to synthesize, was mainly being made outside of the country, and they cut the flow. These Mm. drug dealers were left with no drugs. So I thought to myself in that moment, if I could create a natural version of ecstasy, something using those herbs that would be natural, organic, would have no negative effects but could simulate a similar effect, Man, I'd be in the money. Everybody would be buying it from me. So I did it. I managed to get myself a girlfriend at the time, despite my brokenness. I managed to get her to let me cook up prototypes in her kitchen while her dad, who was a superintendent of some school district or something, was out. Dude would go out the front door. I'd come in through the back. We'd be making prototypes and testing it on everybody that we could. Until finally, I came up with a formula that worked. That worked really well. Wow. Okay. Yeah, that's uh, <laughs> that's love. Or it's something, right? It's something. It's yeah. something.
0: I'm curious, uh, you know, just the, the the story about going, punching in and, and essentially staying in these luxury apartments and, and spots and stuff like that, even though obviously you, you didn't own those places. But it kind of, re- it almost reminds me of, you like some forced visualization there, especially since you're studying like the Tony Robbins of the world and think, grow and uh, think, grow. What is I forget? Think and the grow I'm rich. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's sitting right there. Literally, um, you know, like a lot of a lot of their principles are around like what you know, what you think about as what you will attract and so forth. And then you need to take the actions and stuff. Was that was that at all coming into mind or was that just pure survival mode for you?
1: That's a really good question. I think no one's ever asked me that before. Yeah, absolutely. And what's even funnier is I had two choices of places to stay in those days. One were these like abandoned or not abandoned, but uh, these under construction luxury places. Because if you went to the lower level ones, they probably had a security guard. The luxury ones, they just didn't expect anybody would ever mess with them. So they were wide open. So the higher up you went, the better it was. Sometimes you didn't have running water or electricity, but it was fine. And yeah, I was in there. I was constantly telling myself, while I was reading these books with a flashlight, or whatever, that one day I will have this. The second option I had was a 1966 Lincoln Continental with the suicide doors. This was one of the ultimate luxury cars of its time, one of the great American cars, I think still to this day. I I sold my last one a little while back from my collection, but they're, they're spectacular cars, and so, being in this car, you kind of also got that similar sense of that glamour and and that excellence that was American car making in the 1960s. And similar to what one of my mentors, this guy named Stuart Wilde, who wrote this book called The Trick to Money is Having Some. And he was a British author who I befriended sometime later along the way, and we became pretty tight, would always teach us that there is something to be said to faking it until you make it. So fake it until you make it. But not only that, that everything has an energy. This falls into the the, the strong category of woo-woo, but I love it. 80s yeah, woo yeah. And that if you can't afford a Ferrari, walk into the dealership. Smell the leather. Oh, see yeah. what the engine sounds like. Really have a sense of what that thing is like. Feel what winning feels like to you. And you will be that much closer to it. So for me, all this was leading me to that. And at that time, yeah, I was reading all that stuff. I was reading affirmations. I was reading Think and Grow Rich. I was reading Augmandino, the greatest salesman. I had my, my goals and my ambitions written down. And I had lists of things that I would read out every day and my environment like you said, interestingly enough, in a a subtle way, constantly was a reaffirmation, either that I would become successful and go beyond the limitations that I had at that time, or that one day, I could achieve all that was around me. Yeah,
0: well, here, and here's the thing with the woo woo stuff, I, I firmly believe the combination of let's, you know, I'll stick with the term woo woo, and action, is a winning formula i mean you you start you know i've interviewed like yourself tons of different people and someone that comes there's an olympic athlete that comes to mind apollo ono i mean he used to make himself sweat meditating visualizing his short his his speed skating races i mean we all like we all hear those stories right visualizing the downhill ski run or the the run and this and that But as soon as you flip it into any other context, it becomes this weird, like, oh, you're just, you know, you're just telling yourself these things and whatnot. So I'm glad you brought that up because I don't know. I mean, I've seen this stuff play out over and over again. It's stuff that that I read as well in practice. And it's it's powerful.
1: Yeah, I love that. So I'm a science based guy. I believe in science. I believe in critical thought. I believe in logical fallacies and how we can get around that stuff. And you know, I don't believe in wacky things like uh, cosmology and psychic abilities and and those kinds of things. With that said, science is not faultless. It is not flawless. Yeah. And what I've come to, and I've thought a lot about this, and you know, look, I'm a big fan of Richard Dawkins and Sam Harris and, and all those guys. Let me turn that sound off here so our conversation will be uninterrupted. I apologize. So, this is what I've come down to. Science works best when you are looking for a truth that will work for the majority of people or all people that is an undisputed truth until it is challenged somewhere down along the line. Yeah, Not necessarily the best thing for you and me. Why? (laughs) This is why. It's the reality distortion field. Sure. Not only is it what what Walter Isaacson wrote in his book about Steve Jobs, how Steve Jobs would have this reality distortion field where reality would be questioned by the people around him and somehow it would would make it work, but more so because things that may be woo-woo, things that may have no basis in science could work potentially for one person and if that one person is you you would be better served following that woo woo fucking whatever thing is than the science yeah. <laughs> yeah, and so we're seeing we're seeing more and more of this every day as we're seeing placebo shockingly have its efficacy if you look at the 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 uh, the chart of placebo versus actual drug and you see the efficacy of placebo going up to beyond what the drugs are, you'll note that m- manufacturers, scientists, they're all pulling their hairs out. It's getting more and more difficult yeah. to do these clinical trials on drugs because placebo is starting to work so damn well.
0: Yeah, totally. It's uh, no, it's, it's, it's wild. It's wild. And for me, again, it's just the the, the power of the mind is – is it's just so untapped and there's just a ton of opportunity down that space so i mean sticking with that and, and just continuing down your journey like what what got you to where where you ended up eventually i mean eventually you were you got to the place where that those you know staying in apartments like that that was no longer a visualization that was a reality and you're pretty far from you know being poor where when you landed in the us like it started to go
1: yeah totally so i started going to these raves and one day i just we had a formula we got a formula that worked took it to the club stood up to the biggest drug dealer in the in the club this was a guy tattoos on his face cool now not cool in the 80s yeah, yeah so true yeah <laughs> Post i mean yeah Post Malone if if you have tattoos on your face now they give you a platinum record in the yeah. 80s you wouldn't be allowed in a restaurant you wouldn't yeah. be allowed in public it would be you would rarely see a guy like that but this guy had that and I walked up to him and somehow managed to have the resilience the fortitude to get past his objections and get him to say yes um I think the exact words might have been something more along the lines of, if you're fucking with me, I'll kill you. But I took yeah. that as yes. He <laughs> took the entire bag of pills that I had. They were tiny little baggies with goo-filled pills inside because I didn't have enough money to make the machine, to buy the machine for capsulating. So we would roll up the herbs, cook them in an oven, and they'd make them look like pills in the first generation. And But they worked really well. It was just gross to have to eat that much stuff. And it worked. So I got one guy doing it, a big drug dealer. He brought on other drug dealers. So we went from 10 guys to 100 guys to 1,000 guys. They didn't have any supply of real drugs. So the alternative was selling bad stuff, selling nothing, or selling my stuff. I was at the right place at the right time. And we grew the distribution like that. There was a period of my life where I literally had a briefcase, something you don't see anymore these days, filled with pills. And I had a pager. People would page me, I would show up, and it'd be 10,000 bucks, 20,000 bucks, 50,000 bucks. I'd be collecting cash all day like a real drug dealer with no risk. What started to happen is a lot of these low level, medium level drug dealers started to legitimize their businesses. They started buying distributorships from me. They started to say, hey man, I wanna distribute in Miami. I wanna distribute in this place, that place. Yeah. And they started becoming legitimized, kind of like um, the film The Godfather, and Godfather 3, where the, the goal of La Cosa Nostra, the mafia, was to legitimize their business through, through mainstream. All these little guys started becoming legitimate distributors. They were buying franchises from me. They were opening up retail stores. All across the country, there were stores with my neon sign inside that said Herbal Ecstasy. And we were keeping these businesses alive. Uh, New Age bookstores. Uh, we, were, we were in record stores, Tower Records, Warehouse Records. We were in video stores back when people were watching DVDs and videotapes. We were in those stores. We were in health stores, uh, GNC, Nutri- General Nutrition Center, 7-Eleven, Urban Outfitters. We were in 30-something thousand stores, which leads me to that story that you said where I show up at my office In those days, I would hire anybody who could fog up a mirror just because I couldn't hire quickly enough. I was making this stuff for 25 cents a unit. We were selling it for $20. And as quickly as we could make it, and by this point, I had a manufacturing facility, several, and the pills were being packed in a commercial production line and an FDA approved facility and all this. We were making millions. And I walked into my office. The news broke that we had made a billion dollars in revenue. And I remember thinking to myself, holy shit, I don't even know how much a fucking billion dollars is. I don't know what that means. Literally, I don't know what that means. And Sam Donaldson was outside wanting me to be on Nightline. And I did Nightline. Montel Williams sent us tickets to go to New York to be on his show. Two Newsweek covers, LA Times, New York Times, London Observer. We were everywhere. And I was still a teenager with out, uh high school education
0: wild so wild yeah i encourage everyone to pick up uh the book because there's there's there, there are just so many stories that even if you would explain them on the show they're they're almost not believable in, in a way um so what happened i mean how how did you get you know where, where did you go from that place to to here you
1: are now yeah, by the way, the book is called Billion, How I Became King of the Throw Pill Cult. For anybody who's interested, you guys can get it on Amazon or the first chapter is free on uh, all those places, Spotify and, and uh, Google Podcasts and whatnot. Yeah, I'll, so I'll make from, sure to link to everything for you. Oh, thanks, man. Yeah, we'll yeah. include the links in the show notes. So what happened from there? Really good question. Well, the government then started getting involved. Then it seems that the mafia wanted to take over my business. Didn't work out so well for them, but we managed to come two to it. A-
0: insti- <laughs> two big institutions.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I don't know which one's worse. I'm going to say the government. The government's probably the one that drove us down. We could at least negotiate with the Yakuza, which was the Japanese mob. And I write that story in my book, how I was, a mysterious man showed up to my office with a duffel bag with a million dollars cash and an invitation for a private jet to Tokyo. I had no idea who they were. I get there. turns out that it was the head of one of the Yakuza families. And unlike what my Japanese partner had told me at the time, they were interested in taking over the entire business. <laughs> so it became a little bit of a, a tense moment there. But we got, we got through that. And over time, the government decided that they weren't so happy with what we were doing. And I'll tell you why. In the 1980s, Mark... A pharmaceutical company, which will remain unnamed, came out with a drug that was to fight depression. And everybody was on this. It was one of the SSRIs, the serotonin reuptake inhibitors, selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors. Well, the drug worked well for people, for a lot of people, had one bad side effect. Unfortunately, it led to erectile dysfunction and sexual dysfunction. But don't worry, this same company had a magic blue pill ready to go. Allegedly, all this is allegedly, by the way, please don't sue me, anybody. But in the 1990s, they had this magic blue pill that they had spent billions of dollars on ready to go to solve the problem of sexual erectile dysfunction. Only one problem that they did not anticipate with the billions that they spent in putting this stuff out was that a long haired, Iranian kid without a high school education who was sleeping in abandoned apartments sometime before had now created a billion dollars in revenue company selling a pill that people were using for that same purpose now that <laughs> big wouldn't be problem <laughs> big problem <laughs> wouldn't have been such a problem if it was regulated the fact was supplements particularly in the United States were not regulated So anybody could sell anything as long as it was generally regarded as safe. You'd be able to sell it. And we were. And we were taking a big dent out of their plans. So what they did was that they went to the government, they went to the FDA, and they launched a formal complaint, and they lobbied. They had hundreds of millions of dollars that they lobbied against us. And that led to an uphill battle for me. And we would do one thing, create a formula. Quickly, that would be banned. Senate, Congress would pass laws. We would get banned. The FDA would ban it. And then we'd be like, okay, no problem. We've got another ingredient. And they would ban that. So it was a game of cat and mouse for a few years. And eventually I got tired of it. I sold that. And I went into solving the problem of smoking. I figured, hey, this is a problem that's interesting. Curiosity, fascination, what we're talking about. People have been smoking for thousands of years here we are in 1999 or whenever that was and people are still smoking they're they're creating smoke torn carbon monoxide to get a small amount of the active elements in a plant substance which led me to the question is there a better way and I started discovering that yeah if you were to as it turns out, heat a plant substance to the point where you could get its active elements out, the cannabinoids, the CBD, the CBG, the the CBN, the THC, the nicotine, all those ingredients. If you could extract those out without heating it up to the point where the plant burns, you could enjoy all the good stuff without having any of the bad stuff, the cancer-causing stuff. So I developed and invented one of the first I think one of the best vaporizers, certainly the first portable digital vaporizer, which became the forerunner to all of uh, all of the vape technology that you see now. And that company was huge; it, it was multi million dollars. And I sold that. It went public. There was a lot of exciting stuff, and from there, you know, I I went on to learning uh, about brain supplements, nootropics. You and I, I talk about personal development a lot. We talk about human performance, human enhancement. And I thought, man, I I really, you know, I had a kid at the time my kid was just born. I thought I really want to make that limitless pill. That's my next move.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And I came out I came out with this product called Accelerol, which uh, Accelerol, there was another one called Focus Plus, which were these nootropic brain supplements. I was making it at one of these big pharma companies, a little ironic, and it worked really well. It was really expensive, but it worked really well. And I thought to myself, how am I going to sell this? In those days, Bezos wasn't this huge, iconic character, but rather a guy who was fairly accessible. He was a Silicon Valley CEO. Amazon wasn't where it was, and you could get a hold of him. And you'd send an email, jeff at amazon.com, and you'd get a response back in some time. You could call, and sometimes you might be able to get them on the end of a phone back in those days. We heard through the grapevine that Bezos was opening up the Amazon platform to third party sellers. So I thought to myself, hey, man, that'll be a great way to put this stuff on. I put up the uh, Accelerol, my nootropic pill, and it was 120 bucks. Woke up in the morning, didn't think much. I was like, hey, let me see how that did. We sold thousands of units, hundreds of thousands of dollars made in a night, which led me to stop everything I was doing and going, let me take a closer look at this Bezos character. And I realized that this was not a chump. This was a guy who was one of the smartest guys in the room making big moves, bringing cheap money from Wall Street into Silicon Valley. And he was going to create, and nothing was going to stop him, one of the biggest e-commerce companies, if not the biggest e-commerce company in the world. So I put all my chips down on Amazon. And now what I do is I train and teach people through my FBA seller course, how to become an Amazon seller.
0: Wow. Wow. What's, what lights you up every day? I mean, realistically, I mean, you don't have to keep doing all of this, all of this stuff, right? Like you, (laughs) you've probably, you you know, made enough cash and enough, let's just call it freedom over the years to to kind of do what you want. Like what, what lights you up to wear the Amazon t-shirt as I see you right now?
1: (laughs) Great question. I love Amazon. I hate people that are haters or like, you know, you can find haters in any area where you're successful. And the, one of the, yeah. the best ways to know if you're successful is if you start to have haters. I wanted to mention that, by the way. I've had lots of, I've had people put up websites, all kinds of things. They hate me, trolls, all that kind of stuff. And it's fine, it's okay, because it shows you that you're successful. I love Amazon, I love Jeff Bezos. I think he's I think he's uh, one of the, the big icons of our time. But with that said, what lights me up to answer your question? I think it's a few things. First, I like doing cool shit, and I like doing it on my own time and on my own terms. I like you and me talked. I was like, hell yeah, let me do let me do Mark's podcast. I love that. You know, I, I listen to your stuff. I'm a fan of yours. I'm like, that's fucking awesome. That lights me up. It excites me to yeah. have an exchange and to share ideas and to see, hey man, how how can we bring each other up. Through our ideas, through our concepts, through our contacts. You and me have been switching contacts for for uh, for for a minute, and I, I'm sure we will yeah. continue to do so. But how do we raise each other? How do we bring each other up? That excites me. I enjoy family life, first and foremost, more than anything. I'm a family guy. Love my kid, first and foremost. My kid, my wife, my family is the most important thing. So that lights me up, taking my kid to jujitsu and watching him advanced through a level of thinking, watching his head and watching his brain. It's, it's like just a concept that he didn't understand two years ago. Now he's he's getting ready to approach mastery level at that concept. That excites me. Learning excites me. I love to learn about new things. I love to learn about new people. I'm very interested in what makes people tick. And, and I love the title of your podcast in particular what's behind the person right it's behind the human yeah 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 yeah, yeah. It, i i think that says it all man because people wear masks you the, the public persona of people that you see oftentimes isn't who they really are and it takes i think as alan watts would say it takes some energy to break through that mask that maya that illusion of what that person is saying. Usually the masks that people put on are bullshit or they're intended to just serve them. And. I noticed this about you through your curiosity and through your question asking, you have the ability to break that ice very quickly. It's a rare talent. I'm not just saying this to no, thank you to, to compliment you, but very few people can do that. I've got a, another friend, Ken Rutowski, who runs this organization, Metal International, that we've been talking about. He also has a, a similar skill like that. And I, I definitely am going to hook you guys up after the show. But it's, it's that ability to see past people's bullshit, because we all have bullshit, but it's that ability when somebody breaks down and, or breaks down a little bit and becomes a little bit vulnerable, and you get that peek into who this person really is to understand them, that is the most interesting thing to me. I watch videos all the time. I'm one of these obsessive people where I have a, a, a little bit of curiosity, which leads to fascination, which leads to absolute all-out obsession. I will get every book on a topic. I will be knee deep in the in the podcasts and the I will go deep into the people that I'm researching, only to try to find that crack between the worlds, only to try to find a where the bullshit ends and the real person begins because it's in that moment that you find the truth. Bruce Lee used to say, truth is found in combat. And in recent years, I've become a practitioner of, of many martial arts, but mainly Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, which I'm still a beginner, still learning, loving the journey of learning how to do that. But when you get on the mat with somebody and you start grappling, the thing that is so amazing about that is that all the bullshit goes away. There's no moment where there can be, um, uh, uh, I want to say, presupposition. I don't know what the word is. Help me out here. Uh, there, there can be no uh, uh, illusion. No loop. Yeah,
0: and no loop. The the looping narratives can't exist in that moment.
1: The looping narratives can't exist in that moment. It's literally how good your skill and your strength are against another person. Doesn't matter what color your belt is, doesn't matter Ed, the stories that you tell, you can't front. There's no bullshit in that moment. That's why it's amazing because in that moment, you find the truth. Are you good or are you not? Is that person better than you? Can you learn in that environment?
0: Amazing. Uh, amazing. Well, I'd love to ask, I mean, just to, to to respect your time as I'll start wrapping up, but I mean, it, it seems to me you landed in the US, you landed in an area where you saw, I guess, what was po- or what what was possible, right? And and you obviously, you know, you, you and your family were were in a different place, but you saw it was possible, then you start fueling your mind with essentially the tools and the mindset to, to, to go and seek that possibility nailed it more than most people in the world, for example. Um, and, and that, that level of curiosity still is still there. I mean, i even noticed in our first couple conversations, just with books and podcasting, you know, asking well, like, what's working, what's not working. And kind of like what you saw on Amazon, I guess, right. was, wow. Okay. I'm going to pay attention here and go. Um, I'd love to just know, you know, like what are some consistent practices um, or rituals or routines that you have right now to, you know, to help continue to foster that curiosity or keep your mind clear enough so that you can see the, the signs and where to, where to go, what to follow and, and so forth.
1: Yeah. So I'm 46 now. How old are you, Mark?
0: 37.
1: Oh, man. Okay. Cool. It's the
0: gray hair, man. The gray hair, I was going to say. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I, like it. I like it. I like it. You have, you have a youthful spirit, though, I think. Um, so, yeah. So, look, when, when I hit my 40s, I started to think more about physical optimization and mental optimization because I, I want to see if there's a way I can actually improve as I age. And I truthfully, I've been, I've been going back through my Google photos and all my all my images and looking back and asking people honestly, like, was I better then or now? I really think I'm better now. So there's a series of things that I do. But first and foremost, and by the way, in my 20s, when I was running Global Ecstasy and making those hundreds of millions of dollars and all that, I did not take such good care of my health. I was vegan, which I am convinced is not healthy for 99% of the population. People are going to hate me and argue with that. I think there's 1% of the population that it could potentially work for. If you're intelligent, you know how to do it right. But for the majority of people, I, I think that you know you need to have a better balanced diet. And for me personally, animal protein is one of the greatest things ever invented. With that said, I have a pretty clean diet, in my opinion. I do mainly keto I have a a plant-based diet, paleo keto type thing, not plant-based diets, forgive me, but I do paleo keto with some plants and a good portion of meats. I do mostly nose to tail. Um, So I have lots of organ meats and that type of thing. When I can't get the organ meat, sometimes they're out. I'll have organ desiccated organ meat supplements, which I actually enjoy, I feel, I feel a huge high from just having liver or, or organic heart or any of these organ meats. I'm, I'm not a massive fan of the taste, but I'm reprogramming my mind to like the taste because I know that it serves my body really well. So I'm doing that. Uh, what else do I do? I just got an ice bath. I built one in my Ooh. backyard. So I do that. I was a big fan of Dave Asprey, and all the bulletproof stuff. So I, yeah. f- for four years, went in to do cryotherapy every single day, minus 230, 240 degrees, three minutes. Um, I trained Brazilian jiu-jitsu, which is a combat sport, a grappling sport, which I'm I'm very excited about and I really enjoy because I think it helps me focus my mind as well as my body. There's some chest-like component to it where it really requires all of your mental and physical energy and you're constantly learning no matter how good you get there's always somebody that's two three four five levels above you so you're always chasing and the dip is very elusive as you know seth godin's uh book the dip which i love i know you're a fan of seth godin too i think i do red light therapy which Hmm. i think light is the new drug for the next 10, 20 years. We're gonna learn a lot more about light, lasers, red light, blue light, green light, all this type of light technology and how light affects our brain and our bodies. Yeah. What do you
0: get from that? that? That's something I I haven't tried yet, is uh, red light, excuse me, red light therapy.
1: Oh dude, game changer, game changer. I I don't know all the science about it. I've got people around me who we've been talking about. I've been talking with Dr. Michael Bruce, America's sleep doctor. We just did an episode with him on red light. He's looking into the research on that. And I've got a lot of people around me that are looking into the research, but just anecdotally, I've got these red light panels that I just lay down. I wake up in the morning. Sometimes it's a little dark. I turn the red lights on and it does something to my brain. It does something to my body. it, It definitely increases blood flow and circulation, which is a big thing. But in some instances, I find it more effective than coffee. Okay. Um, Which is not, yeah. Which is another thing I'm doing now. I'm I'm hundred days off coffee, which is really interesting. Yeah, I'm using uh, yerba mate, uh, guayasi, which is a plant from the Amazon that's also got it's caffeine containing. As is yerba mate and matcha, which we produce a brand called Matcha DNA you can get on Amazon or wherever you get matcha tea. It's it's the leading brand of matcha, but I love matcha because matcha is high in this ingredient called L-theanine. And L-theanine is the reason why when you drink tea that you don't get that nervousness or that edginess that you get from having coffee. And matcha is highest in L-theanine. So I've been doing that. I've got a. ridiculous supplement routine do you do supplements (laughs) i can imagine i mean i have uh,
0: probably not at your level but i I mean we were talking about the 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 show sponsor by optimizer the magnesium product i mean uh, so i take magnesium and probably about i don't know five or six other different things um but the magnesium i noticed right away almost within days you know waking up without that you know sometimes you wake up with that some like borderline anxiety or fear or like you or at least i've I've had this. please tell I'm not the only one, but you know, where you have the looping thoughts, I noticed that was cut right away. And I know magnesium's typically for sleep, but I, I there's from from their research, it seems like there's some pretty good research around just some cognitive benefits as well. And I felt that right away,
1: yeah, a hundred percent, hundred percent. i I like magnesium, I think. So Andrew Huberman on the Huberman Labs podcast did a deep dive into magnesium. So that might be worth listening to for you where he talks about the different types of magnesium that are used. I'm not familiar with bio-optimizer, but I will try it. It sounds cool. Um, So he he talks about that there's different types of magnesium, different forms of magnesium that you use for recovery and different ones for relaxation. Okay. Um, I find that CBD is very good for stress and anxiety. So I've been looking into CBD on on Hack and Grow Rich, which is my podcast. We're going to be doing four or five episodes on CBD and CBN and CBG and all the different new cannabinoids that are relatively THC-free, so they're non-psychoactive. And we're going to be taking a a deep dive into that. What else do I do? I do a um, virtual reality meditation app, which is like, it's really meditation for busy executives. because in eight minutes it allows you to get into a flow state it's something called trip
0: trip i was gonna say is that trip yeah yeah it's trip oh do you do it do you do i i don't but i've i've chatted with uh some people from the trip team in the past
1: okay yeah Yeah. i know them i know them very well great great people great company and their product is really it's next level but the reason i use it you know I'm, i'm a lifelong meditator uh there's a great book on this by the way called altered traits uh, okay. It's a, a psychologist that, that wrote the book on uh, how our brains are impacted and are actually plastic and can change by med- meditation, can actually change, physically change our brains. When they scan brains of meditators and they scan brains of people that are not meditators, the brains are notably different with people who meditate and better. Yeah. Um, so I, I use that when I don't have time because that's one of my biggest problems for me to get myself into a flow state into a trance state could take 21 to 24 minutes it's just just like that for me I gotta sit yeah. down for I gotta yeah. watch some stupid YouTube videos or listen to some prank calls or just do something com- so far out of left field so my brain just drops off then I put that away then I'll sit and I'll meditate once my brain is quieted a little bit my mind is quieted and it'll take me 21 to 24 minutes with this app, uh, Trip. If anybody wants to also, I, I'm happy to share a code about that. If you guys reach out to me on my website, I can I can introduce you guys to this too. But um, it allows you to get into that flow state in minutes, in like eight minutes. You're That's there. Impressive. Yeah. In and out, which is awesome. And it's got a tracking thing in there where it's like, um, so it measures how you're feeling before. And it gives you a little rating, like, how are you feeling? How's your mood, whatever. And at the end, it asks you those same questions. And I'm always like up 40%, up 70%, like your mood change, 70%.
0: So that's awesome.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty awesome. Cold, extreme cold, extreme heat, basically just staying outside of my comfort zone and seeking discomfort, like seeing how far I can actually push my body without breaking and finding a balance. And then similarly, just having days off where I can do whatever I want. And it's it's funny, Mark. You know, my wife jokes with me about this because we read about people having cheat days. Do you know about okay. this whole philosophy of cheat days? Well, like I know that with, with,
0: with diet. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. With
1: diet. And, and my cheat day is like having a, a paleo pasta. <laughs> or like a paleo pizza. It's like, I've got buddies that are like bodybuilders or fighters or whatever. And they have a cheat day and they're having pizza and M&Ms and like crazy shit. And I'm like, that doesn't sound good to me. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> my cheat day is going to Whole Foods and getting like some organic steak with with some organic potatoes. And that's my cheat day.
0: Well, yeah. Well, I mean, that, that, that lights you up and that, but I mean, you've worked obviously hard to get to that point or in that mentality. Right. I mean, and, and everyone can get every, everyone will be lit up by different things, but I guess the point being, I mean, the more you work on, on yourself, your mind, your body, your, your spirit, your spirit, all of that. I mean, you, you keep raising your baseline essentially. Yeah. Right. So, it's, I mean, you're proving that point. And I mean, uh for everyone for anyone that's that's watching this i mean you you look pretty damn healthy you look good you seem happy <laughs> <laughs> so it's great i mean keep doing what you're doing right
1: yeah likewise yeah yeah totally man you know if it if it if it works for you then that's what that's what you should do yeah well man this was
0: fun i mean we could definitely continue for for hours i can see that we'll have to do some some follow-up chats as time goes but for you know for everyone listening i highly encourage the book billion uh i'll put everything in the show notes i mean there's just so many fascinating stories a lot of learnings things that'll you know help you pause and and think and and you know my kind of my kind of obsession just taking what you're reading and, and, and digesting the stories, but then applying it to where you're at in your life, right? Like that's when it becomes really powerful stuff. And there's so much you can do from, from that book. And, and yeah, and just stay in touch, shoot, uh, shoot some messages back and forth and I'm excited to see, I'm excited to see what's next. I was about to say, I'm excited to see what you jump into next, but it'll probably be too late because you're already ahead of that curve. (laughs) If I see you doing something like damn, too late.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting too. You know, I, I oftentimes, especially like with my Amazon course, I teach that there's no money in innovation. It's one of the greatest secrets I think of, I know we're closing out, but I think it's one of the greatest secrets of wealthy people, successful people is that you don't want to be the first guy to do something. So I've, a lot of times in my life, been an innovator and the problem with that is is that you have to bear the cost of education you have to bear the cost of telling people why they need a freaking thing or why it's important and that's very expensive much easier and i learned this from herbal ecstasy much easier to find a market find what they need and just feed that market what they need such a quicker path to wealth
0: yeah well, I, so yeah, that, that's a good point. I mean, I guess the rephrase for me is, I mean, you're finding the sweet spots. The market was there, but you innovated on how to jump into that market or provide a brand new product, essentially, right? But it's finding that sweet spot. That yeah, you're not you're not the one creating the market, <laughs> essentially. Um, amazing. Well, thank you so much. Thanks for showing up with energy. This was fun, um, and like I said, hope we do this again.
1: Appreciate it, Mark. Thanks for having me on, man. All right.